Hey everyone, welcome to the Art of Fulfillment podcast, a meditation for millennials podcast. Today we have such an awesome guest with us and it's really a privilege to have him on the show as his teachings and meditation and mindfulness have just played a huge role in developing my own practice and, and my friends and so on and so forth. So this is a real treat. Um, our guest today is Oren J. Sofer. He is a mindfulness meditation and nonviolent communication teacher who is a student of Joseph Goldstein and a graduate of the Insight Meditation Society Spirit rock vipassana teacher training sharing his wisdom from practicing mindfulness and meditation for over 20 years he leads meditation mindfulness and mvc retreats and workshops across the united states he also teaches those things through online courses such as next step dharma and mobile apps such as the 10 percent happier app he is also the founder of mindful healthcare an organization that provides training in mindfulness communication and re resiliency for the healthcare community he's professionally trained in somatic experiencing for healing trauma is a cnvc certified trainer of nonviolent communication and a member of the Spirit Rock Teachers Council. His work has received praise from many meditation legends such as uh, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, and Tara Brock. He's the author of the newly released book, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication, which is a book I highly recommend and we'll be talking a lot about on today's show. Um, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Oren Dre Sofer. Thank you so much for coming on, Oren. Hey, Joseph. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Now, before we talk about the book, um, and we will definitely uh, really go deep into the book because it is truly awesome. And, um, you know, I read it in two days and was just excited oh, about wow. it. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, I got like the pre-release, so it was right on the release date. And, uh, and yeah, it was just it was too good for me to put down. So um, but since this podcast talk revolves around fulfillment, I wanted to ask you about um, a moment that you talk about briefly in the book in your mid thirties, mm. where you said you were unfulfilled by your work in life. And then you made the decision towards uh, Buddhist monastic training. And so, you know, my question is like, what compelled you to make that decision and how have you found fulfillment through that path? Because, mm. um, there are a lot of people, including, you know, myself at one point in my life who have probably been in that position. And, um, so I just wanted to hear, you know, what made you make that decision? how do you have, how have you found fulfillment through that? Sure. That, that's a great question, Joseph. And, you know, I really, I really appreciate it. Um, cause I think that it's one of the kind of core things for human beings is that we want, we want to be happy and, and not just the kind of happiness that the media sells us, which is, mm -hmm. which is all surface. It's all glitter and, 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 and glitz. There's, there's no substance actually there. Um, you know, I think we long for a, a deeper, more enduring kind of satisfaction and I think that that's our birthright. I think it's innate um, because we we have glimpses of it. You know, it's uh, I think all of us have these, um, you know, moments where we touch something um, that's that's more nourishing, real uh, and satisfying inside. Uh, often it could be like a moment in nature you know, mm. where we're at the beach or in the mountains or in the woods and, and things kind of slow down and all of a sudden everything falls into place or you, you just feel like everything's okay or you're connected. It can show up in a lot of different ways. Um, but I think many of us sense inside that there's something more to life than just the day-to-day -day grind um, or having more material possessions or even finding the right job or the re right relationship, which can be deeply nourishing and satisfying. So, you know, for me at that particular time, I had actually been meditating for 
over 10 years and my life was going great. You know, I, um, I was dating a lot and, um, I was in a band, um, I had a decent job doing meaningful work. Uh, I had a nice place to live here in the San Francisco Bay area up in the Hills. And, um, and yet, you know, things felt kind of empty. It was like, well, what's the point? Where is this all going? Huh. Yeah. And it was, you know, I think one of the, one of the challenging things about, about fulfillment is that the, the force of society, the, the, the stream and the tide of our culture, um, because it's a capitalist economy that depends on uh, continual growth and consumption in order to thrive, um, we're continually being kind of conditioned, convinced, some people might say brainwashed, depends on your perspective, you know, to think that our happiness lies in buying something mm. or have or having a new experience, right? So a lot of people, we can see through the material consumption, but we still want experiences, right? The sense of like, well, if I go here and travel and I see this place or, you know, I go skydiving or I climb the top of that mountain, right? That's going to do it. And if we really study uh, with awareness, what sensory experience actually provides for us? Um, there is satisfaction there. I'm not denying that. But the issue is that it's brief. Mm -hmm. we, really, we really look closely at sensory experience. We see that it all follows the same pattern. There's anticipation, which has a certain kind of titillation and pleasure to it. We get kind of excited, like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get something good here, you know, whether it's a piece of chocolate cake or, uh, you know, going out on a date or visiting a new place. So there's the anticipation. And then that kind of rises to this peak when we actually get the thing we want. And then there's this hit. We get this hit of pleasure. Mm -hmm. And then it fades. It dissipates. And then we're left, you know, oftentimes there might be some lingering satisfaction, but eventually we want another one. We want something else. And that's the cycle. And that's basically the cycle of addiction. Mm -hmm. So what contemplative practice uh, shows us is it reveals the limits of satisfaction in the sensory world. It's not that there's no satisfaction or gratification. And it's not, it's, it's not even that those are bad or wrong or that we should avoid them. They're actually really important and healthy sensory pleasure. You know, things like being out in nature, eating good food, spending, uh, um, you know, going to beautiful places. That's really important for us as human beings. But there are other kinds of satisfaction and pleasure that come in human life that are more sustaining and more nourishing. And so one of the things, particularly in the meditative traditions that are discussed, are these different layers or levels of happiness and satisfaction. Mm. Yeah. So, for example, um, when we live an ethical life, when, when we don't cause harm with our words or our actions, there's a kind of pleasure that comes from that, you know, and I think we all know how crappy it feels uh, to hurt somebody, you know, intentionally or unintentionally. We say something, you know, we forget someone's birthday or we snap, we lose it and we say something cruel or mean. And then afterwards, there's that like, you know, that feeling in your heart that's like, oh, God, I wish I could go back and change that. And, and we can't. Right. And that there's a kind of sometimes even a kind of agony or anguish that can come from that. So the absence of that remorse and regret 
there can be a, a quality of ease and peace and uplift that comes in the heart when we're living an ethical life and not causing harm. Mm-hmm. Then, then there's the happiness that comes from uh, what in spiritual traditions are called healthy or wholesome mind states, and in modern neuroscience are often called pro-social emotions. So things like kindness, generosity, compassion, these feel really good for human beings. You know, just just think about the last time uh, somebody did or said something kind to you. Mm-hmm. Right? It's that's, yeah. it's nourishing. It feels good. Or the last time you did something generous for somebody, you helped out. You you know, picked up the phone and called someone just to say hi, or someone was having a hard time and you were there for them. That kind of pleasure is much more satisfying and enduring than the sensory pleasures we experience. And then, so we're going deeper. Each of these layers goes deeper. And then there's the then there's the pleasure that comes from meditation, mm-hmm. from from training and cultivating the mind, and and the highest kinds of pleasure, from the perspective of contemplative practice, are the pleasures of insight and letting go, the pleasure of freedom, of not being, uh, not being caught and oppressed and. Um, fixated and uh, sometimes even, you know, twisted and turned around by our mind and our emotions. When we can have perspective and spaciousness and see things clearly, there's a, there's a happiness and a kind of quiet contentment that comes that's not dependent on things going our way. <clears throat> it doesn't depend on getting what we want. And that's real freedom. So, you know, having been exposed, this is a long answer to your question, but having been exposed to those teachings and knowing and having tasted some of that, I recognize, you know, I need to train more. I'm in the world. I'm doing all these things, but my perspective is off. I'm not connected, you know, to uh, the source of of a more enduring happiness. And so I spent about Overall, I think it was almost four years, uh, a little bit more than that, training in in the monasteries in in various forms. And you know, the last thing I'll say is that you know I'm I, I have a I have a girlfriend. I you know have a place to live. I'm working. I'm living in the world now, and I really enjoy that. It's wonderful to get to share and contribute. But you know, as part of my own path, uh, I still step out. You know, I still go on meditation retreats. And I think that's really important. You don't need to go to a monastery for four years, <laughs> right? Um, and a lot of people can't. It's a great privilege to have been able to do that, to have the circumstances in my life. But uh, most people can take a weekend or a week off and go sit a meditation retreat. And that's a really wonderful way to clear the decks and uh, and shift your perspective so that... Um, we're not missing out on these deeper jewels in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That was, that was a really insightful an- answer. And I was sitting there like really just mirroring a lot of the feelings that I've, you know, felt in my life too. Like, like when I've been brought up in like luckily, or I shouldn't say luckily, but gratefully in such a, a good environment. And, you know, I have a full-time job and, you know, I got parents that love me and, but I've been in a position, same thing where you just feel like something's missing. And I loved how you talked about, everything's like so external nowadays. And it's like, it's, it's cause we have it all at our fingertips, right? We can pick up our phone and just kind of see what else is out there externally and all that stuff. But like, it really comes from the inside. And right. then 
secondly, what I've also really loved about your answer is that you said, you know, I need to train more and like mm. fulfillment and happiness and those things, those, they're skills that can be trained. Right. And, yes. and that's what I really like love the point. And it's not like, you know, you always have to go out and get, 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 but if you can train to cultivate it on the inside, then that can lead to that place of fulfillment and deep peace and overall just having, you know, the presence and consciousness that's going to lead to a happier life. Right. So absolutely. I, I, I absolutely love that answer. And I really appreciate you like going deep into that into your history and stuff. And one other thing that, you know, I want to pick up that kind of segues to, uh, the next question in the book is that you, you mentioned how, speaking with people um, in a kinder way, in a more authentic way and not hurting people um, can lead to a much more fulfilling life. And your book is called Say What You Mean. And I think that title is so great because mm. it has the implication that we as humans say things, but you know, it's not really what we intentionally mean on the inside or want to get out. And I yeah. love that. So what are the roadblocks that really prevent us from actually saying what we mean or what we intend to say um, without hurting someone? Because usually it ends up, you know, backfiring in our faces most time than not when we do the opposite. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah. What are the roadblocks? What keep us from saying what we mean? Hmm. You know, I, I think that um, one of the main ones, there are a few, there's personal roadblocks, there are interpersonal roadblocks, and then there are cultural or societal forces that are roadblocks. Um, on the personal level, uh, and these are not separate, these all kind of influence each other. On the personal level, one of the main roadblocks is that we don't know. <laughs> we, don't, we don't actually know what we mean a lot of the time. We have, a, we, have a, we have a sense, we think we know what we mean, and sometimes we do. Um, but what I discovered through the nonviolent communication training was that I had no idea what was actually going on for me most of the time. I was living in a world of judgments and projections and assumptions and interpretations, right? Like you're, you're being rude, you're being selfish, right? Those kinds of thoughts, that's not actually the deeper truth right? That's the story that I'm telling about what you're doing to me. And this is how we've been conditioned to perceive reality and think about our life, others, and ourself. And this is a very, uh, this is a very disempowered way <clears throat> of, of thinking and approaching situations, because when we project our needs out onto others, right? Like if, so, if you're doing something that I don't like, that's upsetting me, and I want you to change your behavior or talk to me about it. Um, and my my experience of that, my consciousness is focused on this idea. For example, you're being selfish. You have all the power. Mm -hmm. You're the one who's being selfish. And the only way I am going to feel more at ease is if your behavior changes. Well, good luck, you know, <laughs> you know, if, if, uh, you know, if we've been alive for, you know, even a few years as a child, we, we start to learn very quickly, we can't control other people. You know, we can't get other people to do what we want a lot of the time. And even when we can, if we're, if we're actually controlling and manipulating them, we pay a price later. It, it comes with a cost. We have to pay the bill for that. Yep. So, you know, so, um, not to mention the other point here is that if I want, 
somebody in my life to do something differently or relate to me differently or change their behavior some way. And my strategy is to tell them what's wrong with them and blame them. You know, how backwards and counterproductive is that? That usually, as you said, it backfires. So the, so the move here is to actually learn how to translate those judgments and perceptions into a more accurate understanding of what's actually happening for me. So to say what we mean, we have to know what we mean. So, and this is the core training of nonviolent communication, which, as you know, I go into in depth in the book. Um, so if I have a perception that you're being selfish, okay, well, that's based on some actual behavior. Mm-hmm. Some something's actually happened. There's data. There's a data point. There might be more than one. So that's the first step is to identify, okay, what actually happened? What's the data point here? Right? And to try to do that in a way that's as objective and neutral as possible. So I'm not layering in our personal history or my judgments or my feelings. So what happened? And then how do I actually feel about it? What are the emotions that are present? So if I tell you that you're being selfish, you know, that doesn't give you any information about how I feel. I might feel angry. I might feel frustrated. I might feel hurt. I might feel confused. I might feel annoyed. I might feel um, uh, I might feel lonely. Um, I might, you know, and, and so on. There's so many different emotions that could be present. So what's the actual energy emotionally that's present for me that's that's my life energy that's where my life force is i want to be able to actually feel that and contact it okay and then comes the the most important step um again which as as you you know and are familiar already from the book which is why mm-hmm. you know our emotions are information they're ancient signals biologically that point to something that's important to us. So our task in learning to say what we mean is to identify what actually matters to us. What needs of mine aren't being met? What, what values, you know, what, what deeper objectives or goals or concerns are present in the situation? So with selfishness, you know, it's often like, you know, hey, I want to be considered or I want more balance uh, or uh, I'd like some more cooperation or support. So, you know, and then the last step in saying what we mean, and this is often the hardest for people, is what do I actually want to have happen now? Where do I want to go from here? So, you know, we dump on someone. You're being so selfish. What's wrong with you? But we don't give them any information about what we would like to see happen next. You know, what is it that you're wanting or hoping to hear back from the person? Do you want some understanding? Do you want them to explain something that they did so you can understand where they were coming from? Do you want to talk about how you share chores in the house or how you divide the work up, you know, on a project? What is the actual request that you have? Where can you move forward from here? So, you know, so the personal barrier to saying what we mean is that um, oftentimes we're not aware of these components, these aspects of our experience. We don't actually know because we haven't looked or listened deeply enough to clarify what we mean, what we really want to say. And um, I'll just kind of mention briefly, you know, the interpersonal, some of the interpersonal barriers can be lack of safety, lack of trust, Mm. um, cultural differences in communication, uh, um, you know, a history of misunderstanding 
where you know no matter how clearly we we say something the other person hears something else because of the history in our relationship and that takes quite a lot of patience and skill to undo so there's there's those are just a few examples and then there are cultural forces or societal forces in terms of you know the uh, the way that we are socialized and the way that we are conditioned um based on where we were born uh, the kind of family we grew up in, the religion or culture uh, that we were exposed to, the the gender that we were socialized to be, um, and you know, even within the whole fluid spectrum of gender, we get these certain messages about what emotions are okay to feel and not, mm. you know, and generally we are trained to ignore our needs um, and to think in terms of. Uh, pleasing others and being good and doing it right and those kinds of uh, concepts so that we uh, we get rewarded and don't get punished. That's the way our society is structured around authority and power. And so most of us have uh, a good strong dose of conditioning to be ignorant of our own feelings and needs. So um, there's a certain kind of a journey um, that I know I myself have gone through and that I, I am, you know, dedicated a lot of my work to supporting others to go through to reclaim those uh, deeper parts of ourselves so that we can feel more alive, have more clarity, and develop the quality of relationships and the kinds of connections and conversations that we want to have. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that was a beautiful answer. And it's it's so important i think for that answer to or i should say it's so important to pull from that answer how important the role of awareness is right mm-hmm. like you mentioned being aware of your emotions being aware of what you're really trying to say and and even to the the latter part of your answer being aware of our conditions right like wh- how have we been conditioned in society and then not just taking those conditions for face value right like once we're aware right. of them we can challenge them right. and i i really love and and for me personally before reading this book, I actually didn't even know what nonviolent communication was, to be honest. I was um, mostly, or I should say, going into this thinking it was going to be more of like a mindfulness and meditation book. And there was a lot of that stuff in there. But Mm -hmm. the NVC tools, I felt, were just a beautiful marriage to the meditation and mindfulness Mm -hmm. stuff. And so you know, we cultivate that awareness and presence through the meditation and mindfulness approach. So like from your eyes, like for someone who wants to be more aware, how can you start to implement those things in meditation and mindfulness? And you, and he speaks a lot about this in the book for those of you listening who are looking to go deeper. But um, for those of you who are interested in going to that space, like what would you say to people who, you know, want to start to become more aware of when they're talking with people and other people's mm-hmm. needs and their own needs and so on yeah. and so forth? Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, well, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of different things you can play with, um, to start to develop these skills and become more clear and aware about what's actually happening for you. And so, um, there are two questions that you can ask yourself, um, before a conversation or even during a conversation that, uh, that could really help. And um, what I love about these is they're not technical. You don't you don't need to read a long book or you know they're they're common sense in a certain way. So the first question is usually we think about what do I want to say, okay? And so the focus is on me and what I want. 
And when we do that, we often we forget or we overlook the purpose of communication, which most of the time, not exclusively, there are exceptions, but most of the time, the purpose of communication is to send a message to someone else that they will receive. Mm -hmm. In other words, we want to be understood. So instead of asking, what do I want to say? If we ask the question, what do I want the other person to understand or know? Mm. That shifts, right, it shifts our perspective to actually recognizing why am I opening my mouth? It's like, I want them to get something. Okay, so what is it that I want them to know, hear, or understand? Okay, so then we start reflecting on that and that helps us to go a little deeper and clarify, okay, what's actually happening for me that I really would like for them to know and understand? All right, so then we start to get clear on that. Then the next question is, how can I say this in a way that the other person is going to be able or likely to hear and understand, right? Because I could be super clear about what I want you to know. But if I say it in a way that you're going to get defensive or reactive, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. So then then I, I want to find that sense of, all right, what can, what can they actually hear, right? How can I put this in a way that they're going to be able to understand? And this is where the balance comes in. And I, I want to go back to something you talked about before, how things go haywire or backfire. The balance that we're looking for is how to be fully authentic open and honest while still being kind. Mm. And usually those two seem mutually exclusive. It's like mm-hmm. either I'm going to be honest, I'm going to tell you what's on my mind, which means blasting you, or I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be kind and I'm not going to say what's actually going on, right? No, neither of those work. We need both. We need to be able to be fully authentic, really, really true to ourselves, and still stay connected to our heart and the, and and that that takes a little bit of of practice to 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 find how to say that in a way that you can hear it and a lot of that is that work of 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 picking apart those judgments and that blame consciousness to say yeah 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 okay but what's actually happening for me what am i needing what am i wanting what's what's important to me here mhm yeah what really stuck out to me there which i thought was an excellent point was like bridging that gap like finding that balance because and i'm not sure if you're uh, if you heard of the book or read of the book Principles by Ray Dalio, um, it's a a lot of the book revolves around ha- being transparent with people in the same way that mm-hmm. you're talking about being open and stuff. But right. it doesn't touch as much on the area of being kind with it, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you blast people, sometimes even if you're being genuine, you don't even mean to hurt someone. Like the way that you come off like that, like sometimes it can be really, really painful to people, right? And they they're gonna be like, whoa, like. I don't, I don't like the way you're talking to me, even though it's honest, I know you're trying to help me, but like, it can be tough to hurt. So I think like, that's like such an amazing like point. And one that I guess I'd never like bridged together upon reading this book. And by those questions that you were also saying too, there's also like an implication there, um, that I thought of it's, it implies, and and you say this in the book and I love it is that we are all hardwired to be empathetic and we're all Mm -hmm. hardwired to care for one another. Like it's our natural, um, hardwiring. Um, so, but like in the end of the day, like, I feel like some people, they'll feel that they're not hardwired for that. They're not hardwired to be authentic. They're not hardwired to come from a place of compassion and care. So in essence, like what are ways that, you know, they can train to bring that out of them. Yeah, thank you. 
I think I want to I want to just name like that experience of like not feeling the sense of empathy, care, um, uh, being hard, you know, not having access to that and not believing like, oh, this, this isn't my nature. Look at how I behave or look at how I think or look at how I act, you know. Um, something that Marshall Rosenberg, who uh, was the founder of nonviolent communication, uh, something he used to say, which um, I think is is really important point and that's relevant to this question is uh, he would always remind uh, folks to not confuse what's habitual for what's natural. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. So you know, what's habitual feels familiar and therefore we can believe, oh, this is what's natural. And this is so much what what kind of keeps uh, so many of the structures in our society that are destroying the planet and that are destroying our communities going is that there is a certain momentum to the cycle of social institutions um, creating... Um, uh, uh, conditioning for human beings through the socialization process that then influence human behavior, which create certain experiences that then reinforce the need for those social institutions. Um, this is a, a longer conversation, but um, so to not confuse what's habitual for what's natural and to, and to, you know, to have some sense of curiosity. And one of the mm -hmm. things that I, I recommend and advise is you don't have to believe anything. You don't have to believe this is natural or not natural or this is true or not true. Be a scientist. Be um, be an explorer and try things out. So the, the idea is to run an experiment. And the experiment is to see how does it affect my life, my relationships, my inner experience of myself and others if I view things from a different perspective and and to see is this a useful perspective do i like the results of this perspective and so uh, the perspective is that human beings all share the same basic fundamental needs and are trying to get those needs met mm. you know that we're basically logical creatures and we do stuff because there's something important to us that matters to us. Just like a plant turns towards the light, human beings are trying to meet their needs. And so what happens when we view our own behaviors and experiences and other people's you know, statements and actions and behaviors through this lens that everything we do, we do to meet a need? My experience and the experience of thousands and thousands of other people who have practiced and learned nonviolent communication around the world is that it connects us to one another, our shared humanity, and to compassion. Because when we view things from that perspective, we start to see our shared humanity. We see that we have more in common than is different from us. So, um, you know, maybe um, just think of a, a story here that uh, I like to tell that I think is in the book. Um, these uh, two two groups of women uh, who met at a yeah. dem demonstration, uh, pro-choice and pro-life in, in Boston. 
and recognize that, you know, this, you know, this kind of protesting and shouting and screaming at each other is not going to solve anything. We're not getting anywhere. So they started meeting and they started getting together regularly and just having conversations, trying to understand one another, trying to understand each other's values and needs. And they got to know each other, to know their families and developed a relationship over, over many months. And the interesting thing um, that, again, as you know from reading the book, is that no one changed their mind. Nobody's views actually shifted. But when the uh, pro-life group heard through the network that someone was planning on coming to Boston to bomb an abortion clinic, uh, they sent out a message on the network that said, you are not welcome in our community. Please do not come. And so this, un, this, this capacity to connect at the deeper level of our human needs, even though they didn't agree with the other side, they saw their shared humanity. And then therefore they did not see violence as a viable strategy for working out their differences. And that, you know, that saved lives. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's amazing too, because you, you're more, like you said before, you're curious in those kind of situations. And that story hit me like really hard too. And the one other story that you have in there that was like really, really got to my soul too. And similar to that was, um, I forgot the guy's name, but, but it's the person who, the, the African-American gentleman who speaks with the, the Ku Klux Klan members and, um, gets the, the Ku Klux Klan members to see his point of view and see him as a human being to the point where they're, um, they they hang up their robes. They say right. no more of this. And yeah. it's just and even that so was, in that, that situation. Was, uh, I just want to say his name for folks. That that was Daryl Davis. Yes, uh, Daryl Davis, African American jazz musician who uh, who's written a uh, a book and also has a movie about about his work. Uh, really? Speaking with yeah, speaking with members. If you look him up online, Daryl Davis, you can find it. Speaking to members of the Ku Klux Klan in the South, and he was able to. Um, um, I, I don't even want to say convinced because it wasn't like he was persuading them, but through friendship and kindness and listening, uh, more than 200 members of the KKK uh, left the organization. And not only that, uh, many, several of them uh, gave him their hood and robes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's a st- it's it's just an unbelievable story. Right. Yeah. Like because it just shows like because that's such like a charged subject, too. And it's it's so much filled with hate, but it just shows how powerful kindness, compassion, understanding is in those situations, which I thought was absolutely incredible. And 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 what really also rings from that answer, too, is that, you know, you're not trying to change another person's mind. And I think that's yeah. where the gridlock comes in. Right. Like we yeah. try to force our opinions thing. Our opinions are right. But yeah. are they really? No. Like everyone has their own perspectives. And that comes from, like you said before in, in the previous answer, it comes from the judgment, right? The, the judgments that we place on ourselves. So for, mm-hmm. so, so my next question is, so me, like, you know, I've taken the Myers-Briggs test, right? And I get J and it's, but it's like way to the right J, like, you know, like I'm, I'm a full J and, um, and I, and I think there's more people that are conditioned to be more judging sense. So mm-hmm. how do you, uh, how are you able to manage those judgments that come up in your mind and learn how to be more curious on top of also adding those questions? Because you yeah. can ask the questions, but if you're hardwired to be judging, like those thoughts will pop into your head, right? So right, how do you right. how do you manage those impulses from coming up? Yeah. So uh, really appreciating your questions, Joseph. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're so practical, and and I'm I'm glad about that because that's the intention behind the book is to really 
really give people skills and tools for the kinds of things that come up in their life, you know, dealing with situations with a boss or a girlfriend or partner or coworkers or family at the holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, I I guess the first thing I want to say is just a kind of clarification to say that, you know, I think that that tendency to judge is not hardwired. I think that that's one of those examples where this is, this is conditioning. Um, and I want to, I want to, cl- I want to kind of refine how we're using this word judgment because, um, the capacity for discernment, which is a kind of a judgment that is hardwired and that's innate and that's really helpful and healthy, right? Like we need mm-hmm. to discern every day, you know, whether or not to walk out into their street. If a car is coming, we need to discern uh, if the stove is hot or cold. We need to discern if the person that we're talking to is uh, trying to take advantage of us or being genuine, or if somebody wants to physically harm us or not. So there are judgments that we are making every day, all day long that are really useful, right? Mm -hmm. So the danger, and this is not what I mean or what we mean in nonviolent communication when we talk about the judgments that we want to question and examine. What we mean is reactive, unconscious judgments. So the judgments that are actually alienated expressions of our own unmet needs, Mm. you know, like uh, you don't care about me or... um, you're nuts, you're crazy, or you, you know, you just, you just, those kinds of statements that are expressions of other things. So, um, I think, so the question that you're asking, okay, how do I prevent, how do I, how do I keep those from coming up? You can't. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's not the point. Actually, those judgments are really valuable information. Mm. So the the practice and the aim is not to get rid of them or try to prevent them in some way. It's to understand them differently. It's to see them as information rather than as reality. And then to be able to step back and go, okay, all right. So this is a really key phrase here. It's a really key practice. So one of the best ways to work with judgments is to use the phrase, I'm telling myself, quote, and then stick in the judgment. So I'm telling myself, you know, that you're being, uh, you know, beep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> right. So I'm telling myself that, you know, you're, you're being this way. Okay. And then to inquire, okay, how do I feel on the inside when I'm telling myself this? What do I actually need? What matters to me on the inside when I'm telling myself this? And, and to really, I want to just, I really want to kind of, um, emphasize the the power of the conditioning that we're up against here in terms of being disconnected and discounting our own feelings and 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 emotions and needs one of the things i've done over the years is um teach mindfulness uh to children mm-hmm. and uh and also to parents and educators and teach mindful communication to um educators and parents who work with children and one of my students uh, told me a story, uh, not a unique story, uh, but illustrative, uh, of their 10-year-old daughter uh, who was crying, uh, upset about something. And when the parent tried to comfort uh, her, the daughter, the daughter said she felt silly for crying. I feel silly. I feel so silly for crying. It just just you know, kind of like get your mind around that. 10 years old, and I feel silly for crying, Right. 
it breaks my heart to hear that like a child that young is already mm. believing our culture's stories that it's not okay to cry that emotions are you know they get in the way they're extra you should just be able to push them aside or get over them you know so we get these messages through the media through school through our families over and over and over again from a very small age so it it often takes some time and some doing and some work to contact our genuine experience again. And and I'll, I'll say here that um, this depends on how we've been socialized. And um, for some of us, um, we have to work harder to feel our emotions. Um, for others, uh, maybe they might feel their emotions very strongly and intensely, and the work is to actually learn to regulate their emotions more, to get less swept up in them and find more perspective and distance. Yeah, but these these this investigation is uh, it's a powerful and transformative one, and you know I, I've been doing a lot of these podcasts and radio shows and stuff with with the book coming out, and um, I'm I feel like I'm still finding my groove with with uh, the the whole format, and so <laughs> I want to tell another story, but I, I feel self conscious about no, go ahead, I've been talking, and I want oh. to. Be- I want to make space for you as the host to ask more questions. No, I mean, I'm, I'm learning so much more too here too. And like, this is like, this is information that's like so supplemental with the book as well. So it's just like, this is, I I appreciate like all your stuff. So feel free to keep going. (laughs) I'll share one more story. This, this one's in the book too. So just about this investigation about like training ourselves to actually look a little bit deeper and become more aware of either how we're feeling or, or what we need, what matters to us. And, um, this is not just about our relationships or conversations. This is about reclaiming our sense of agency and power in life. Uh, because when we are when we are disconnected from our feelings and needs, when we are unaware of that layer of our experience, we have less choice. We're actually just kind of going through the motions of life, doing things because I have to or I should or other people will or other people won't if I do or if I don't. And we're not really connected to why. Like, why am I doing this? Am I choosing to do this? So this is one of the benefits of these tools is that we can reclaim our sense of power and agency and authority. Um, And so just a short story on that. one person uh, was attending a workshop, a nonviolent communication workshop, and was exposed to some of these ideas that you and I have been talking about. And, you know, you're you're nodding. You probably know the story I'm about to tell. And so he's on his way home in the car. Yeah. And he reached for a cigarette and he pauses and he says, all right, all right, let's, you know, let's give this stuff a try. Like, if everything I do, I'm doing to meet a need. Okay. So he's, he's running the experiment. He's, he's trying on this idea, this concept that human beings, human behavior is motivated by an attempt to meet some deeper underlying fundamental basic need. He said, if I, if I, if that's true, then my wanting to smoke a cigarette is trying to meet some need. Well, what do I need? What do I want right now? So he paused kind of turned it over a little bit in his mind and he realized, okay, well, you know, uh, I want to feel more relaxed. Uh, I want to take my mind off things. Uh, I want to break. I want to break, feel relaxed. Jeez, I, I don't need to smoke a cigarette to do that. You know, he just realized right there very clearly that that strategy was not actually 
in line with his values to meet those needs. Gave up smoking on the spot, right? So obviously not everyone can give up smoking that quickly, but (laughs) it points to the power of being able to have more choice when we're aware of what we actually need. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and that's the reason why I am, I created this, um, brand is all around that is all around showing how powerful meditation and mindfulness like is because it gives you that awareness and because like you, you can't change what you're not aware of. And then once you're aware that you can change some of the things in your, in your inside of you that are uh, holding you back, whether it's like limiting beliefs or conditions or, uh, habits that you have, like all things that aren't you, right? Like it's, it yes. just is is transformative, and I and I particularly resonated with that cigarette story too when I was reading it, because for me, I you know I had a a drug addiction actually a while back, and and mm-hmm. literally meditating and um, being more mindful of my intentions actually actually allowed me to ask those same questions like yes. Well, what do I need here? Or like what I wasn't saying it in that frame, but I was doing it from a sense of like, why am I doing this? Right. right. Like what is what do I want to feel by doing this? And right. by realizing that you know I don't need to 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 use or take those to feel a certain way. It totally, you know, changed the game. And and also like a really like key point that I just want to highlight from your answer too is how you were talking about you can't necessarily stop those judgments from coming in your head. You can't necessarily mm-hmm. stop the emotions that are coming up. I feel like today in our generation it's all about get rid of the anxiety. Get rid of your sadness. Like like you don't like it's all around not feeling those things. Mm. But the paradox is, and and you beautifully worded that, is that you got to feel them. You got to lean into them. And once you can lean into them, you can get to that space between stimulus and response, right? right. And that that's where it is. And I think, and, and I just really wanted to to highlight that for our listeners. But um, you know, we're we're actually coming on the tail end of the show, and and I'm I'm just. Uh, I we, I can go all day and talk about you know this book and and like I said again like anyone who's looking for not only just to become a better communicator but looking to be more fulfilled and be more aware internally as well like go out and pick say what you mean by uh by Orange Ace over it's 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 incredible um and before I get to just my last brief question where can our listeners find you who who are looking to um, explore more of your world and learn more from you. Great. Thanks so much, Joseph. Yeah. So uh, I'm on social media. My website is a great place to find out what I'm up to, orinjsofer.com. And one of the best ways to stay in touch is actually through my email newsletter. And when you sign up, you get a free gift, a free guided meditation series and a short ebook on contemplative practice that I wrote. And the easiest way to do that is actually right from your phone by text message. So if listeners want to stay in touch and learn more about my work, uh, send a text message to the number 44222 with one word. Just put the word guided, G-U-I-D-E-D, like guided meditation, in the text message to 44222. And then it'll walk you through the steps to sign up for my email list. And you'll get a free gift from me, a discount on my book. Um, And then, uh, yeah, we can stay in touch that way. Awesome. And the book's available on Amazon and your website and, and all the other, you know, big, uh, big outlets like where you can buy uh, any kind of book, right? Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's available at bookstores everywhere. 
Awesome. Awesome. And if you do use meditation apps and, and you are using the 10% happier app or you're looking for one, Oren's got two courses on there, which are phenomenal one on emotions and one on relationships, I Her- believe. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, what's great actually about the book and, and 10% happier, you know, we've partnered to support the book. And I think when the podcast airs, the the special offer will still be up on my website. When you order my book through my website, um, you can get uh, free access to both of those courses on the 10% Happier app. And that uh, that gift will be available, I think, through the end of January. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that should be good. Still good to go when uh, when this podcast airs, too. And and the emotions class, too, like there's a whole chapter in Say What You Mean about emotional agility, which is basically what Oren teaches in the, in the, um, in the course as well. So, um, so yeah, you get it with the book as well and it's a good supplemental training, but, um, and just one last quick question for you, you know, what fulfills you in your daily life and, uh, Mm. and, and for what's coming in the future? Yeah. Thank you. That's that's a a beautiful question. I'm just going to take a moment and kind of just take it in. Yeah. Employing your own techniques here, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there are three things, Joseph, that fulfill me the most in my life right now. Um, one is uh, my contemplative practice. So uh, doing silent meditation, qigong, and mm. uh, just just bringing awareness to the gift of being alive. Uh, so that's one. Um, two is uh, spending time with um, my amazing, beautiful, wonderful um, partner and girlfriend. Uh, and then three is doing things like this and sharing uh, what I've learned and a little bit of understanding or wisdom that I have with others so that they can be happier. Awesome. Beautiful. I, I love that, too. You're, you're sharing the, the the gift of just the awareness of being alive like that is just uh, that one hit me right right in the heart. So, mm. um, yeah, I I cannot stress um enough to our listeners that uh to explore more of Oren's work explore more of his world because um you know right here i was sitting here just learning so much from this conversation and i learned so much from the book and and he's truly truly got so much wisdom and knowledge and and techniques to to help you get on the path to fulfillment so i really really stress to to pick up a copy of say what you mean and and start diving in and doing and doing the practices right like that that is key uh, you want to apply the practices what you learned in your life because that's how you're really going to teach your yourself, um, how to build those skills of great communication. Um, so that's it for today's episode of, uh, of the art of fulfillment. Oren, thank you so much for coming on. We're, we're all so grateful to have you on the show and, and it was truly a great interview. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Joseph. It was great to be here. Thanks for the conversation. Of course, of course. And you can find us on Instagram at Meditation for Millennials, at Twitter at Zenlennials. And if you have any questions uh, about me, about this podcast, or uh, just in general about meditation, mindfulness, or fulfillment, feel free to shoot us a DM and we'll get right back to you. All right, guys, have a great one.